All right. I'd like to give a shout out and a welcome back to all of you to episode three of Everything Basketball, sponsored by no one, absolutely no one. This podcast is like the basketball version of last week tonight in the NBA, but we have no network. But what we do have is some amazing storylines in this young NBA season. I mean, look at it so far. We've had a major fight involving Rajon Rondo, Chris Paul, Brandon Ingram. The NBA has been on a torrid scoring binge. Three-point shooting attempts are at an all-time high. We've had some signals sent out of the NBA League office with the announcement of the new G League select contracts that will go in effect next year for high school players that have turned 18 years of age, which to me signals that the one-and-done rule is probably around and here to stay because the Players Association and the negotiations of the new collective bargaining agreement in this area probably are not going well. And then we've got a Jimmy Butler trade request and all the drama surrounding the Minnesota Timberwolves. But we don't want to get even started on that. But what I do want to start with is the amazing Golden State Warriors and what's transpired over the past 10 days. Dating back to Friday, October the 26th, Kevin Durant walks into Madison Square Garden and destroys the Knicks with 41 points, scoring 25 in the fourth period in a come-from-behind victory where the Knicks seemingly had the game in hand. The Warriors outscored the Knicks 47-16 in the fourth quarter alone. The greatness of Kevin Durant was on full display. I mean, Kevin Durant, you know, you can describe his greatness in a number of different ways. We know how great and talented he is offensively. But in my mind, he's a player that really is beyond the X's and O's. In other words, it's very difficult for a coach to design a defensive scheme to really stop him. Kevin Durant offensively is the only one that can truly stop himself. Maybe because he has a bad shooting night. He's not feeling well. His balance is off on a particular night. Maybe he has a minor injury that throws him off. But other than that, it's very difficult to stop him just with a pure defensive game plan. That's why I say he's beyond the X's and O's. He's one of the most unique players in the history of the game and the only player in my mind that is open every single time he touches the basketball. Because of his extreme length and his high release on his jump shot, he has a clear look at the rim on every single catch, regardless of who's defending him. You know, in this same game, Steph Curry added 29 points. Again, speaking to the greatness of the Warriors, 29 points. He made six threes, which marked the sixth straight game he's made five or more threes and one away from the NBA record. And if that wasn't enough on the night, DeMarcus Cousins who is not playing, dressed in street clothes, got ejected from the bench in the game for arguing arguing with referee Scott Foster. 
DeMarcus, of course, later apologized to Steve Kerr, and Steve Kerr issued a statement saying that he had a talk with DeMarcus, and DeMarcus uh, realizes that you know getting thrown out of a game in street clothes is not how the Warriors are going to get to their next championship, and that his actions reflected poorly on the team and reflected poorly on himself. And that was behind them. So two two days later, on Sunday, the 27th, the Warriors beat the New Jersey Nets in an easy win, 120 to 114, in what I would describe as a three-point shootout. The teams combined for 31 of 75 threes. And of course, when you're talking about threes, you know Steph Curry played a major part in the three-point barrage. He made seven three-pointers in this game, set the NBA record, finished with 35 points, and he and Durant combined for 74 of Golden State's 120 points. Simply amazing. But if that wasn't enough, the next night, Klay Thompson must have sensed the work that Curry and Durant had put in over the last few days. And he was amazing. The Warriors win 149-124 over the Bulls. But Clay Thompson broke Steph Curry's NBA record by making 14, yes, that's 14 three-pointers in a single game, finishing with 52 points. But after the game, you know, Thompson said something that really struck me and really what I want to talk about with respect to the Warriors. And he said, quote unquote, that's what I do this for and are the moments that you share with your teammates. That's why we play basketball. It's a collective effort. I don't know if I would be able to break these records I have gotten in my past, like tonight, without the system I play in, or the team I play with, or the guys I play with, unquote. Thompson also said that he was due for a game like this, because previously, you know, he had just made five of 36 three-pointers in his previous seven games. So I guess he was right. He was due. But his, his words really sort of highlight what the Golden State Warriors are really all about and what separates them and teams, elite teams like them from the rest of the league. And that is their ability to galvanize as a basketball team and be productive for one another. Well, what do I mean? Well, let's look at just some of the Top line data. When you look at Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Draymond Green, they are the top three in the league in plus minus when they're on the floor by a long shot. Curry and Durant are first and fifth in scoring lead wide. Curry leads the league in threes, having made 52 of them. But while doing all that and scoring and being productive, nine other players in the NBA have a higher usage rate than Curry. 
When I say usage rate, I'm talking about the amount of time that the offense uses the ball in Curry's hands. As great as he is leading the, the, the league in scoring, nine other players have a higher usage rate. Durant is 20th on that list. So how does that happen? Well, the Warriors average four more assists per game than the next team and have the highest three-point shooting at 41% and the highest field goal shooting overall at 52%. They have the highest true shooting percentage in the league and they're second in assist percentage. What does all this mean? It means this. With the Golden State Warriors, the ball moves. It doesn't stick with one player. There are less dribbles and more passes. The ball seemingly always finds the open man. They take and they make quality shots. Rarely a bad one that you would see when you watch bad teams. They are unselfish. They are selfless. And you combine all that with great talent. And that is the Golden State Warriors. I don't really see an end to it. I mean, you look at last season, the Rockets had a shot to beat the Warriors prior to Chris Paul getting hurt because defensively, they had the ability to slow the Warriors by being physical in playoff basketball, executing defensively. But remember, they could put Trevor Reza, Luke Abahamute, and P.J. Tucker on the floor at the same time. That is a formidable defensive unit, and it worked effectively for the Rockets. This season, the Rockets, as we all know by now, have gotten worse as a team, and they do not have the same defensive mindset nor the ability to stop people. Last season, they were 7th in the league in defensive rating. Currently, this season, they're 22nd. 10 games... After 10 games, you know, similar to their finish in the 16-17 season where they were 18th in defensive rating. So it's like they don't defend, then they defend last year, now they're back to not defending. I think that defensive basketball just isn't in the Houston Rockets personnel's DNA. I mentioned before losing their defensive expert Coach Jeff Bezdelic, who decided to retire, I think has had, you know, the, the personnel moves in his departure have had a profound effect, a negative effect on the Houston Rockets. It, it, it's sad in, in terms of, I, I think the competition in the NBA has really suffered because of it. We may have just seen last season the only team that was potentially beating the Warriors on the way to the Western Conference Finals. Now, what we're left with, the Warriors compared to the rest of the NBA, is the college football equivalent of the University of Alabama. I I mean, think about it. Is there another team out there capable of beating them? Probably not. And if you doubt what I'm saying, just say to yourself, Can you think of a team that's going to beat the Golden State Warriors four times in a playoff series? I don't see it, particularly if the Warriors have home court advantage.
But, you know, sit back, enjoy the ride, and enjoy what is special about Team Warriors. Another thing that was special these past, this past week uh, was Derrick Rose and anybody who witnessed, witnessed it. Simply amazing. You know, word about Derrick Rose. You know, since winning the MVP award back in 2011, when he was 22 years of age, Derrick Rose's career has been, should I say, just dispiriting. And the rest of his career has almost been an afterthought. And it hasn't all been his fault. He suffered some severe injuries, which robbed him of his explosiveness. You know, off the court, he had a harrowing disposition, deposition on an alleged sexual battery case. And he's basically been a journeyman going from team to team over these past seven years. Even last season, when the Timberwolves signed Rose to a contract just prior to the playoffs, everybody thought that was a favor of Tom Thibodeau. And it was a surprise to everyone, given his inconsistent performance in Cleveland last season and the fact that he had to once again take time off for an injured ankle. Well, you fast forward to last Wednesday night to Derrick Rose breaking down in tears after putting in major work with one of the most stunning performances of this season, a 50-point explosion and career high as he led the Timberwolves over the Jazz. You know, it appears that you know, Derrick Rose had gotten to a point where he's become healthier. He's gotten his explosive athleticism back that allows him to attack the basket the way he once did. Now, this was on a night, mind you, where Butler and Teague were both out for different reasons. But Derrick Rose had to go out and perform, and he did. He hit 19 of 31 shots, 4 of 6 from 3, had six assists, four rebounds, and a critical block at the end of the game to seal the deal. I mean, this is against a team that was, you know, eighth in the league in defensive rating. You know, it kind of begs the question now, just the thought. Derrick Rose was the MVP. Can he now be considered in the most improved player race? I don't know. Seems a little bit counterintuitive, but so much time has passed. I think everyone from a basketball standpoint is rooting for Derrick Rose, and what he showed us is that being able to come back and play at this level from injury, he's almost become the icon of true improvement. So maybe he can be the most improved player. I don't know. But after this night, he received so much support from around the league by, you know, current and past players. I mean, like Reggie Miller, Evan Turner, C.J. McCollum, fellow Chicagoan, and the great Dwayne Wade. International players weighed in. Nikola Vucevic, Vince Carter tweeted out something 
about Derrick Rose, Kyle Lowry. And LeBron said Rose was still a superhero. I mean, amazing stuff in an amazing night. But, you know, as you thought about it that night and the next day, while on one hand you were extremely happy for Derrick Rose's athletic achievement, there's a cloud hanging over his head with respect to some damaging information that he provided back in 2006 off the floor where he was the subject of a 2016 gang rape civil suit where while he was found not liable his testimony about consent was very damaging to himself and quite frankly made us all sort of cringe and wonder what planet he was from. The civil suit itself is not going away and while Derrick Rose gave us one of the best athletic achievements in the NBA so far this season and was a highlight of the last week, his storyline off the floor is not going away as his accuser now has an opportunity to appeal the case and Derrick Rose will once again be a storyline of a different kind in the NBA in the coming weeks. But, you know, one thing we do know about Derrick Rose is this, and we have to appreciate it. You know, when he was interviewed after the game about, you know, his career high and this 50-point explosion, one of his quotes was, I worked my ass off, referring to how he got to this point following his injury. One thing we do know about Derrick Rose, that statement was not a word of a lie. Well, next topic, let's talk about Luke Walton. Uh, Some of you may have seen, most of you may have seen, that it became public through sources that Magic Johnson had an opportunity to meet with Luke Walton and message to Luke Walton the importance of winning now in Los Angeles. Uh, Question... We hear some of his coaching decisions as part of this early season. And the fact that maybe the Lakers were not gaining an identity. And let's park for a second the importance of winning now. And let's park for a second coaching decisions because I think we know Luke Walton can coach. Of the three things that reportedly were addressed, Gaining an identity as a basketball team is by far the most important. When I talk about an identity of a basketball team, we're talking about things such as, you know, how the team plays, you know, what pace they play at, what's their offensive and their defensive team scheme. Are they a three-point shooting team? Are they an inside team? Are they a fast-breaking team? Defensively, do they switch? Do they stay at home? You know, what is it that teams, their opponents can expect every night from the Los Angeles Lakers? 
And at this early part in the season, I'm not sure that we know. And perhaps that's what Magic was alluding to when he was concerned about their identity. But certainly management has to shoulder the responsibility of this team as in any organization. Responsibility is shouldered by the leadership, by management, by the rank and file. And a basketball team is no different. Let's take the plight of Luke Walton. So the day that LeBron dropped into the Los Angeles Lakers was a day when everything changed. You all of a sudden went from a team that seemingly was developing, a group of young and very talented young players, to a team who all of a sudden the expectations rose exponentially and I might add unfair, unfairly. Expectations with this, team, with this team were way too high. Yes, acquiring James is a major get. But when you give, you know, you have to give he and Luke Walton time to work out the best formula for this team. LeBron has done it before with a collection of average players and taking them at one point to the Eastern Conference Finals. He's done it again, taking a collection of players that were mainly role players, but they had some good front court size. But this current Laker roster has a lot of shortcomings. Has young talent, but it has shortcomings. What you have on the plus side are some very good young players. Lonzo Ball, I think, is going to be a very good NBA player. Right now, the Lakers are the best with Rajon Rondo on the floor. Brandon Ingram, another very talented, young, promising player, but he's been out for four games, these first nine games. Josh Hart, maybe a su- the surprise pick of the draft two years ago. And Kyle Kuzma, the surprise pick of the draft three years ago. All young players, all playing major minutes. But the roster is flawed because they need size. Front court size. They're dead last in the league in terms of opponents scoring points in the paint. They have no rim protection. They have no shot blocking. Nothing to make the defense think. They're 20th in the league in rebound percentage, 24th in defensive rebound percentage, 16th in offensive rebound percentage, and they're third in pace. Okay? Now, if you give up easy points, you don't rebound, and you still play with pace, you are mixing a recipe for disaster. Both Walton and management need to share some of the blame. And that's where the solution will begin, along with the greatest player on earth in LeBron James. It doesn't begin with a public leak into the, into the media. It begins in the boardroom and the locker room. The season is still young. 
chill. You've got the best player in the world. You'll work it out. I was happy to see that reports say that Tyler Chandler will in fact join the Los Angeles Lakers uh, after he's waived. That's a good sign. Tyson Chandler is an older veteran. Certainly his best years are behind him. He is a great, not good, but a great leader in the locker room, has a very high basketball IQ, and I'm encouraged by what he can impart upon the Los Angeles Lakers. It's early in the season. Laker fans, don't panic. And most of all, keep your house in-house and in order. Yeah, I'd like to finish up with a couple other items. Um, One was, I saw this uh, report about Colin Sexton, about how some of the veteran players on the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers were thought that uh, perhaps Colin didn't know how to quote-unquote play the game. Um, Certainly the Data doesn't indicate that he's having a very good rookie season. I mean, he's averaging 24 minutes per game. He's averaging 11 points, but only 2.2 assists. Averaging 2.1 turnovers during that time. And he's only shooting 22% from three. Now, I think the point guard position in the NBA is one of the most difficult to learn and certainly has the, the steepest learning curve. But when... Players, veteran players, start to say that they question whether or not you know how to play. I, to me, that's code for he's not doing a very good job of running the basketball team, possession to possession. And he's also not doing a very good job of distributing the basketball and finding open players and making others better. Because for veteran players, that's what they expect out of the point guard. They expect you to help make them better. And if you're not doing that, you'll get statements like, we're not sure he knows how to play. But in Collins' defense, again, it's early. He's 19 years old. He's played one year of college. He's been thrown into a starting role with the Cleveland Cavaliers, which is dangerous to begin with, at the point guard spot. So give him time. But it's interesting. You contrast his early season start to Trey Young's early start with the Atlanta Hawks. And you have a little bit different story and both similar at the same time. See, Trey Young, averaging 31 minutes a game, scoring 19 points, is averaging eight assists a game, even though he's turning the ball over almost four times a game. No one's complaining about Trey Young on the Atlanta Hawks. Why? Because he's making other people better. When you're dishing out eight assists a game and you look at him play and watch the, you know, um, the the God-given vision that he has, that's what players around you really want and what really need, particularly if you're a veteran player. Good luck to uh, Colin Sexton. I'm sure that, uh, you know, you'll develop, you'll get better, and Trey Young as well. I want to finish by talking about uh, just a few surprise teams so far early in this season after nine, ten games. First one is the Milwaukee Bucks, who are eight and one as of today. Uh, you know, led by Giannis Antetokounmpo. 
They have the second highest point differential in the league next to Golden State. They have 11 players averaging double figures, people. 11 players. Nine of those players have played seven or eight games and still averaging double figures. The biggest difference that I see in the Milwaukee Milwaukee Bucks is their bench. You know, look at it. Thon Maker, John Henson, Tony Snell, Pat Cognitin, and the addition of Dante DiVincenzo has really given the Bucks a bench that is very formidable and there's not much drop-off when they substitute. I think this team is for real. The second team is the Denver Nuggets. Like the Milwaukee Bucks, deep, deep, deep. Guys in their second unit, very high-level players. They have seven players averaging double figures. And Jokic is leading the team in rebounds, assists, and steals while Gary Harris leads the team in scoring. But this team is deep. They're fun to watch. Remember, they're playing at altitude, which is always a factor. They're playing the right way. They're up-tempo. They're fast-paced. I think the Denver Nuggets have taken the jump that everyone expected them to do. But they really benefited by not making the playoffs the past couple seasons and now have taken that jump where they may be a home court team in this year's playoffs. Hats off to the Denver Nuggets. And thirdly, another team that's been a minor surprise is the Sacramento Kings. Really like their backcourt, young backcourt, with De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Hill. But the big addition that they have had or in, in terms of the way they've played is Nimaja Belitsa. Their power forward, who can really shoot the ball from the perimeter and has given them, given them that extra score. Willie Cauley-Stein continues to develop, you know, as a rim protector and as a rebounder. And first-round pick, Marvin Bagley III, who, unlike Colin Sexton, is not starting. They don't rely on him. He's coming off the bench and performing beautifully. But the best thing about the Sacramento Kings is they have an identity for the first time since they were coached by Mike Malone. They know who they are. They're an up-tempo, fast-paced team. They're starting to share the basketball and play unselfish basketball. The ball's moving from side to side. They get out. They run. They try to break you down. They have good spacing. They have an identity. Really good to see from the Sacramento Kings. Well, that completes this episode of Everything Basketball. I truly do appreciate you listening. And I look forward to speaking to you again on our next episode, again, of Everything Basketball. Goodbye.